0: Good morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is with uh, great weakness that we come to you this morning and we ask for your help to understand your word, understand the truth that you have laid out in Scripture. Father, our flesh is weak. Our bodies tired. Sick. Feeling worn out, maybe. But Father, would you be sweet and kind to your people this morning? Would you instruct us and teach us and remind us of your gospel? Remind us of what it means to not work for our salvation. but to rest in what Christ has done. Thank you for this church family. Thank you for their sweetness, for their love for one another. Bless them, Father. Bless them this morning by encouraging them through your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we are going to begin a new sermon series to start the year. We're going to go through the book of Galatians. And today my goal is just to give a simple overview of what the main points, some of the main points in Galatians are, kind of just to whet our appetites for what's to come. We're going to move slowly through this book. You know, we did the first uh, 12 chapters of Genesis and we kind of did a chapter at a time. That's not how this is going to go. We're going to do shorter chunks of scripture through the book of Galatians. We're going to take our time and uh, your pastors really believe that this is an excellent book for our church for right now. I'll talk more about that later. But maybe some of you, maybe you know a lot about the book of Galatians. Maybe it's your favorite book in the whole Bible. And you've read it before many times. You know what's going on. You know why Paul's writing it. Maybe for some of you, you're kind of familiar with Galatians. You've read it a few times can remember a few things. You can remember that maybe that's the, that's the book with the fruit of the spirit, right? Good. And then for some of you, maybe you have no idea what Galatians is about. Maybe it's been a really long time since you've ever opened the book of Galatians. You have no idea why it was written. No idea. I couldn't tell anybody the main point, and that's fine. So I want to get everybody on the same page today. I want to give some context to what's going on, why Paul is writing this letter, and to give a slight overview and talk about some of the main points that we're going to discuss in our series through Galatians. So I'm going to step back and send a start before Galatians is even written. So the epistle or the letter to the Galatians that you find in your Bible was written by the Apostle Paul. Now, Paul was a Jew who formerly went by the name Saul. And so if I say Saul or Paul during this sermon, talking about the same guy, okay? He used to go by Saul. Very devout Jew. Very religious man. If you can think of somebody very respectable, very religious, very devout that you've kind of grown up, Paul is probably better than that guy. And he's probably fairly young. He's growing in Judaism, as we'll see in a little bit. See, Paul did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah that was promised by God in the Scriptures. He heard of Jesus, he knew the impact that Jesus had, but he thought Jesus was a false teacher. And so because Paul was such a devout Jew, he helped others persecute the early church because he believed they were defiling their sacred writings. They were defiling defiling what God actually was teaching. He wanted to put an end to it. You know, the book of Acts is where we learn a lot of these things about Paul. In Acts, there's a disciple named Stephen. And Stephen ends up being stoned and martyred for his faith. And you can read about that in Acts 6 and 7. And at the end of Acts 7, when they stone Stephen, Saul is there. They're laying their coats down at his feet. He's giving approval. He's helping punish Christians, even unto death. See, Saul is gaining a reputation. Those in Judaism who did not believe that Jesus was who he said he was, they likely knew about Saul. He was an up-and-coming teacher. I don't know what would be appropriate to compare Saul to, but I think it's fair to say that he's kind of growing in popularity among the Jews. He's building reputation for himself, and we kind of know this because in Galatians 1.14 he says, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age. Among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. And so you have this really ambitious man, likely respected by many of the Jews because of how devoted he was. And then on, on top of how devoted he is for the traditions, he's spending energy trying to snuff out and destroy the Christians who are, in his mind, perverting their traditions, perverting their teachings. Verse 13 in Galatians 1 says, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. This is Paul. This is Saul. Saul is so devoted that to prove his dedication, he's going to try to put an end to Christ's followers. In fact, after the stoning of stephen in acts 9 it tells us that saul still breathing threats and murder against the this is saul saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the lord went to the high priest and he asked him for letters to the synagogues of damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, that's any, any Christians, if he found them, he would be allowed to bind them up, bring them back to Jerusalem. He went to the high priest asking for permission, can I take these people when I find them, can I bring them back here and put them in jail? Now, now Saul, he thinks he's pleasing God, right? He thinks he is honoring God with how he is acting. Surely the other Jews are telling him that he's doing great things for God because he's so committed to the cause and to the purity. He's working hard to put an end to these foolish Christians, He's actually doing everything wrong. He couldn't be more wrong. He's persecuting and he's stoning followers of Jesus. You can't really go against God much more than that. It's hard to think about how a person could be much more displeasing to God. And that's part of what makes... Saul or Paul's story so wonderful is that it should give every man and woman hope in this world who think that they can never be pleasing to God because God had a different plan for Saul even though he was such an enemy to him God still had a plan for his enemy and was gracious to him so in Acts 9 Saul is on his way to Damascus and there's this light that shines from heaven. Right? He's going there because he's going he's to bring Christians back. Put him in jail. But as he's going there, there's this light that comes from heaven and it blinds Saul for a time. And Jesus talks to Saul and he asks him, why are you persecuting me? And this is where God to- totally changes Saul's life. Paul's life is turned around in this moment. And we see Saul go from persecuting the church, hating the church, condoning stonings, wanting to put every Christian in jail, to becoming one of the greatest missionaries of all time and telling people about Christ and how Jesus is the promised Messiah. And he opens up the Old Testament and he shows how Christ has fulfilled prophecies it's hard to think of a of a bigger 180 degree turn than Paul it's so shocking that people didn't even believe him at first right they thought he was just pretending to try to get in with them and find out who the Christians were they didn't even believe at first And it's this wonderful story because oftentimes you may feel like you're not good enough for God or that you've done things that are so bad that you could never be really used by God. But one of the wonderful things about Paul and the Bible is that often the people that are most used by God are some of the greatest sinners of all time. Paul was persecuting and helping people stone Christians, and yet later Paul is one of the men chosen by God to help the Gentiles who weren't Jewish to become Christians. And so, anytime you read your Bible and you read a letter that's written by Paul, usually starts off pretty similar, stating that this is Paul. You should stop and you should remind yourself of the gospel that can take someone as wicked as Saul and turn them into a man like Paul. Anytime you feel like you are not good enough, remind yourself of the people that God has used in his scriptures. They're all sinners. All of us have great sins, but it goes to show how powerful God's grace is. He he can forgive the most wicked people. And so this is Paul, and he's writing this letter to the churches in Galatia. But the next question is, is why is he writing this letter? Okay, we know a little bit about Paul now, but why is he writing this letter to these churches in Galatia? Well, Galatia is not just one city, okay? Galatia is kind of a region. It's in what we would know as like kind of north-central Turkey, okay? And there's multiple churches that he's kind of writing to in this area. Now, Paul, he's visited these places before, okay? He's visited them on his missionary journeys, and you can read about some of those in Acts 13 and 14. And so he's not writing a letter to people he doesn't know, Okay, this isn't the first time they've ever heard from Paul. He has relationship with these people. He's taught them the gospel. He's taught them about Christ. He's seen people there profess faith in Christ. He's taught them how to be forgiven of their sins. They're spiritual sons and daughters to Paul, whom he loves very much. He's poured his time, He's poured his energy into them. But Paul is no longer in Galatia and he hears that things have gone awry in his absence. The Christians in Galatia they begun to be tricked and duped by false teachers. Remember God in the Old Testament he chose Israel to be his people. Jesus comes, and this message of salvation is presented now not only to the Jews, but to the whole world. Jesus tells the disciples to go make disciples of all nations. So the Jews, who have always been God's people, okay, there's believing Jews, but now Gentiles who are not Jewish, they're included in this plan of salvation and the forgiveness of sins. And this causes serious debate. Because the Jews had the law. Jesus was a Jew. Jesus obeyed the law. He didn't say that the law was worthless. He followed the law. He fulfilled the law. The Jews had things that they were required to do by the law. Traditions to follow in obedience to God. For instance, The Jewish males would be circumcised on the eighth day. Jesus was himself circumcised on the eighth day. Okay, so you have these Jews who have followed this law. Their fathers have followed this law. Jesus himself followed this law. But now you have Gentiles believing. They aren't Jewish. They didn't grow up with Jewish customs. Some maybe had some knowledge of Jewish customs. Some probably had no idea at all. But they're hearing about Jesus from Paul. They hear about Jesus and he's come. And there's a way that they can be forgiven of their sins and made right with God. And so this debate starts rising up early on in Christianity. Do the Gentile believers, do they have to follow the law? do they have to follow the traditions that the Jews did or do? Because remember, just because a Jew believed in Christ, it wasn't like they just threw all their traditions away. Okay? It's not that they would have just forgot about the Passover and never thought about it again. But now you have lots of non-Jewish Christians and people are wondering, do I need to follow these traditions or no? Should my children get circumcised? Are the Gentiles allowed to eat this food? Do we celebrate this day or not? And you can imagine you, regardless if you were a Jew or a Gentile, would want to know the answer to that question, right? You hear about Jesus, and you hear that Jesus was circumcised. Do I need to be circumcised to be like Jesus? It's a fair question. And you can also imagine that there's a heated debate amongst one another, just like we have heated debates today. And you can read about this in Acts 15, and it's a fascinating story, and we've talked about it before, about how they come to a decision. But the short answer is no, the Gentiles do not have... To follow the law. Paul's argument is that if you you follow the law and you try to be made right and justified through the law. Well actually you nullify the grace of God and Jesus Christ died for no purpose. And so this is a big deal. Paul has gone to Galatia. He's proclaimed the gospel to the Gentiles there. Many have believed. Paul did not teach them that they have to follow the law in order to be made right with God. Paul was not teaching them that a newly converted man needed to go get circumcised. This was not happening, as we'll see in this book. But there were many Jewish Christians who believed that if someone was going to become a real follower of God, well, they needed to follow the law as well. It wasn't that they were saying Jesus was totally worthless, okay? So it's not like Jesus versus the law. It was Jesus and the law, okay? Yes, Jesus is true, but also you need to follow the law if you're going to become a Christian. That's a massive dividing line, and the implications are enormous. And so get this, you're Paul, you've spent tons of times traveling, teaching people about Jesus, it's been hard, it's not been glamorous, there have been joyful times, but there have been many sad times, there have been many hard times, many intense debates, persecution, there's been wonderful fruit of people professing faith in Christ, but it has been hard work that you have devoted your life to. And you've given your life to these people in Galatia. You've slept in their homes. You've eaten with them. You've taught them. You've cried with them. You've seen them take steps of faith. You're a spiritual father to them. You love them dearly and tenderly. But now, what's happened is some Jews have come into Galatia, and they've been undermining Paul. They've been telling people they've, they've got to follow the law. They've got to get circumcised. They really want to be made right with God. Completely contrary to what Paul has taught them. Not only are they undermining Paul's teaching, the nature of his teaching, but they're also undermining his sense of authority. They're teaching them that Paul doesn't really know what he's talking about. He's not really an apostle. I don't. We shouldn't. How can you even trust him? How do we know he even knows what he's talking about? What authority does he even have to make these claims that he's telling you? He's not credible to talk about this stuff. And people in Galatia, whom Paul has taught and has cried with, are starting to believe them. Now, we'll step out for a second. If you're a sports fan, maybe you have a favorite team. I know some of you are White Sox fans, Okay. You raise your son up right to love the same team as you. You guys go to games together. You buy your son a jersey of his favorite player. You've taught your son right. You record the games. You watch them together at night. You get annoyed at the ownership together. You get annoyed at bad coaching decisions. You share this team with your son. And it's sweet. But then your son goes off to college. Meets a girl. This girl's from Chicago. She's a Cubs fan. Her family loves the Cubs. But he loves this girl. He falls in love with this girl. And she converts him to a Cubs fan. Now you're feeling your son has abandoned you, right? You're considering cutting him out of the will. He might not be allowed back from Christmas break. I'm kidding, but it would still be a bummer to lose your lifelong you know, son who you had been cheering together and now he likes his other team. You would be disappointed. I mean, you would, but you would get over it, right? It's really not that big you guys would fight each other and argue, but you still love your son, you're glad that he's found somebody that he loves, that he's gonna marry, and he's picked the wrong team, but you still love him. Well, this is nothing like that. This is a million times more serious than that. This is not being bummed or slightly annoyed that a girl is now more important to your son than your team. And he's cheering for the wrong team. The people in Galatia are thinking completely differently about the gospel. And this is no small thing. This is the difference between spiritual life and spiritual death. The gospel message, the good news of Jesus Christ being altered, is the difference between being made righteous, being in right standing with God, Forgiven of your sins versus being stuck in your sins and deserving and awaiting punishment for your sins. This isn't which baseball team is better. We can have an argument about this. This is life versus death. And it's as serious as serious gets. And this is the context in which Paul writes his letter to Galatians. He's taught the Galatians, many have believed that Christ came and fulfilled the law, died in their place, and that they can have their sins forgiven. They believed They believed they were saved by grace through faith in Jesus and not by their own works. But now others have come in and are undermining this work and saying, actually, you also need this. And that's why, right off the bat, if you have your Bibles open to Galatians, in chapter 1, verse 6, Paul says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. And so the question is, what are they actually teaching? Why does Paul oppose their teaching so strongly as to say they're turning to a totally different gospel? Well, one of the main points that we're going to talk about during the study of Galatians is the idea that we are justified by faith and not by works. You've likely heard that term before if you've been around church. But what does it mean be justified by faith? Well, before I answer that, turn over to chapter 2, verse 15. Paul says, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Okay, A person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. And so we also have believed in Christ Jesus In order so that we can be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Okay, so Paul says you can be justified by Jesus Christ, by faith in Jesus Christ. And we'll be talking more about what that means to be justified. But suffice it to say, for right now, being justified means being declared and made righteous by God. You are justified, you have been made righteous. You are in right relationship with God now. You're forgiven from your sins. They're no longer counted against you. You're part of the family of God. This is what it means to be justified. So how do you get justified? Sounds like what everybody should want. How does somebody get justified? I want to be in right relationship with God. How do I get justified? Now if you were to ask the average person on the street that question how do i get made right with god what's the average person that you're going to you know go to the mall and ask them that question what are they going to tell you well probably something like you got to try to be a good person you should go to church probably you should pray maybe you should tithe give money to organizations, nonprofits. You should read your bible or some other religious book. You know, just try to be a good person. Do more good than bad. You know, help other people. Have a good heart. Give to the poor, help the homeless. Volunteer, do community service. There be thousands of answers, right? But they all revolve around this idea. You've got to do some good things. Do some more good than bad, at least. Now, most of the things that I just stated, they aren't bad things. No one's saying giving to the poor is bad. No one's saying being a nice person is bad. No one's saying going to church is bad. All those things can be great. But here's the defining part about Christianity. None of those things make you right with God. They don't do a lick of good to make you right with God. You could spend the rest of your life trying to do good works to God and they would not justify you. You could spend every waking moment from this point on trying to do good things for God but they would not get you to heaven. They would not make God happy with you. We'll talk about that more. Why? why that is in some upcoming sermons, but, but Paul's answer for now of how to be justified, it has nothing to do with doing good things, like I just said. That's not how you get justified. In fact, Paul says you cannot be justified by works. You can only be justified by faith in Christ, and this is what Christianity is all about. You cannot be good enough for God. You have sinned, you have deserved punishment by God for your sin, and you could try to pay God back. Many people do, but it would be utterly foolish. It would be like a murderer trying to draw some pictures with crayons from his jail cell to give to his victim's family to try to pay back for what he's done. It doesn't matter how many pictures that man draws. How nice they are. They are never going to do anything to make amends for what he's done. You think of how absurd that example is. That a murderer would try to be right by drawing some pictures with crayons. Well, it's ridiculous, but us trying to be made right with God by doing some good things is even more ridiculous than that. Whatever you tried to do to pay God back for your sins, it would be more more absurd than the example I just gave you. And hopefully we'll show that more clearly in some of these sermons to come, but you cannot please God by your good works. You cannot be justified by your works. It doesn't work like that. You could never be good enough. The only way to be justified, made right with God, is faith in Christ. And so what does it mean to have faith in Christ? Having faith in Christ means believing that God the Father sent down his Son to live a perfect life. Obeying the law completely. And he, Jesus, he died as a sacrifice on your behalf to pay the penalty that you deserve for your sin and you believe that Jesus was raised from the dead and you too will one day be raised. In other words, for you to have faith in Christ means that you are trusting that you are made right by the work that God did for you, not the work that you did for God. Okay? You are made right by the work that God did for you not the work that you do for God. When you place your faith in Christ, what is true about Jesus becomes true of you. When you place your faith in Christ, what's true about Jesus becomes true of you. That's why Paul says in chapter 2, verse 20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, to some of you, that might seem like elementary stuff. And you may be tempted to think that I've just given you a history lesson about Paul and Galatia and being justified by faith in Christ, but the reality is that we are more like the Galatians than we want to admit. No matter how long you've been a Christian, there are ways that we are tempted to live like we are justified by the law. Instead of faith. It's almost like it's built into how we function. We always want to earn our salvation. When the whole point of Christianity is that you can't earn it. Jesus earned it for you because God loves you. And instead of just believing that and resting in that, we say, no, thank you. God, I'd like to earn my salvation. I would like to prove myself to you and to everybody else around me. None of us enjoy being weak. Who here enjoys being weak? Nobody. And most of us, we don't like to show our weakness to others. But that's a problem. Because the problem is, For us as Christians, by definition, we're weak. To be a Christian is to say, I'm not good enough to save myself. I need Christ to save me. There's no strong Christian in that sense. Not in themselves. We've all sinned and we all have great weaknesses. And no one wants others to see how weak they are. Nobody wants others to see all the sins that they've committed. And yet, here we are, most of us in this room, claiming to be Christians, which is to admit that we need a Savior because we're sinners and we cannot save ourselves. So you have this strange dance that Christians do to try to figure out how to live at peace with this. I'm admitting because I'm a Christian and I'm here and I'm singing to God that I need God because I'm weak, I have sins, but also, I don't want anybody to know that I have sins. Don't want God to know. Certainly don't want the people next to me to know. And so Christians do this, this weird, strange dance. We know that we need Jesus to pay for our sins. Most everybody here would know that and admit that. But we don't want to let anyone else know that we need Jesus to pay for our sins. I mean, you know that the person next to you and the person behind you, they need Jesus to pay for their sins. And they know, in general, that you need Jesus as well. But we still often put a show on for one another to try to let people know that we we don't need Jesus that badly. Nah, not that bad. Maybe just a little bit. And so we act like we were, we were just about to get into heaven. I was like this close. But I needed Jesus to just get me over the, the edge just a little bit. That's why I'm here. I just needed Jesus to fill that gap just a little bit. When nothing could be further from the truth. It's not true. It's not true if you're honest with yourself because you know your sins. But it's also just not true because our good works could never even get us close. You may think that you're pretty good. You may think that you're making God happy with your good works, but you're not even close. The gap from your righteousness and your good works to God is so far that it's hard to come up with an analogy. This is why God calls our good works filthy rags. You might think you're bringing God a beautiful painting, a beautiful work, but really what you're bringing God are filthy rags that need to be thrown out and burned. But it doesn't matter. We still play this game. And we say all the right things in small group about how we believe Jesus died for our sins, but then we act like we must justify ourselves by our good works. So how does this play out? Well, I don't want to spend too much time on this because we'll go more in depth with it. But I'll give you a few examples that I see in our church and I've talked to some of you in this room about these very things and so you'll instantly be remembered about our conversations about some of these things. Let's say you sin, okay? Let's say you look at something you shouldn't have. You said something you shouldn't have. You drank something you shouldn't have. You hurt somebody significantly. You pick the sin. I don't know what your sin is, but think of your your sin. Think of a sin that comes to mind feels pretty big to you. You'd be really embarrassed if other people knew about it. I'm not talking about some socially acceptable sin where you kind of just laugh about it with your friends, small group. No, I'm talking about something that you feel really guilty over. Okay? You sin. What happens? Well, for many of you, you instantly feel completely disconnected from God. You're too ashamed to go to God. Some of you don't come to small group that week. You skip church. You don't want to talk to God about it. And you definitely do not want to talk to a brother or sister about it. You feel like you have to pay God back because you've done bad, so now I've got to do some good. Kind of pay back for what I've done. So before you show your face back to God or to a small group or to church, you've got to get some good days under your belt. And then maybe, maybe once you have some good days under your belt where you kind of feel decent about yourself again, feel like you're doing a little better, then you'll start showing up again. Many of you do this. Well, what's going on there? Well, you believe that you're made right by God, by your works. Sure, you might be able to tell me the gospel, if I asked you what the gospel is. But you're functioning like you're justified by your works. But church, you can tell the maturity of a Christian by how quickly they run to God and to the church after they sin. That's what a mature Christian does. An immature Christian, they run away from God. Because they think they're justified by their works. And so they've messed up, so they they can't show themselves to God. They're too unclean. But a mature Christian knows that they were always too unclean. But Christ has covered their sin, and has paid for their sin, and his blood covers them. And so when he sins, he knows he needs to go to God. And he needs to go to the church. And he needs help. And this happens all across our lives. Even for those of us who are more mature, this still happens in your life in various ways. Sure, maybe you're a little farther along, so you don't skip church. You know God loves sinners. But you don't open up about your sin to anyone else or ask for help. No one knows about the issues in your marriage because you don't want to tell them because you would have to admit that you're weak and that you have sin and that your marriage is not good enough to justify you before God. Sure, you can have some small marriage issues. We all have some small marriage issues. But You can't let anybody know that you and your wife get into screaming fits at each other or that your marriage bed has been cold for years Or that your wife can't stand you or doesn't respect you. Or that you've been bitter at your husband for years now. You guys haven't had sweetness in your marriage for a long time. Now these things would be too much to admit. I can't let people know that I need Jesus that much. And so this is very closely related to another topic that we're going to talk about. Which is fearing man above God. We fear man's opinion more than we fear God's opinion. That's why Paul says in verse 10 of chapter 1, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. But we want to be approved by others so badly. We don't want anybody to know that we really need Jesus. And so we put on a good show and pretend that we're justified by our good works. Because then people can respect us and all these good works that I have to show for it, But if I have to actually let them know about my sin, they're not going to respect me. But church, nobody here in this room is respectable on their own right. There's not a single person who would go up to heaven and stand before the judgment seat of Christ that you would be impressed with on his own merit. There's Not one person. Not one person in this room or this world. But because we fear man so much, we'd rather put on a mask and pretend that everything is fine and spend years stuck in the same sins over and over because we're too afraid to admit to others that we need Jesus and that we're not justified by our works that we've been trying to be justified by our works, and it's led to nothing but bad fruit. But the beautiful part about this church, and the beautiful part about Galatians, Paul's message, the gospel, is it doesn't have to be this way. You do not have to be stuck in a yoke of slavery where things continue to be a mess for forever. You can admit that you're a mess, that you need to be justified by faith in Christ and you can get real help by the Spirit of God and by His church. And this is a big part about the end of the book of Galatians, living by the Spirit. You've likely heard about the fruits of the Spirit, and those are the things that are born out of the Spirit's work in your life. But again, you can never really get there if you try to be justified by your works. So chapters 5 and 6 of Galatians, you can't really live by the Spirit if you're trying to be justified by by your own works. The person who is justified by their faith in Christ, they can live by the Spirit. But if you're pretending, you're putting a mask on and acting like you need to be justified, or that you don't need to be justified by faith in Christ, well you're also acting like you don't need the Spirit's help to change you. And when you pretend that you're good, you can be justified by your works, well, you don't get to live by the Spirit. That's why for many of you, you've been stuck in some of the same things for years, maybe even decades. Now, I'm not saying that you won't struggle with sins for a long time, but for some of you, you've been stuck in the same thing because you've been putting on a face and trying to justify yourself for years. And you haven't been able to live by the Spirit. You don't have to be burdened by life, trying to justify yourself by good works. You don't have to fear man, because you know that every man is a great sinner. And everyone desperately needs Christ to cover and wash away their wicked sins. You can live a life and be healed from your sin instead of being so afraid of your sin that you stay stuck in it and put on a face. Jesus died to set you free from your sin. You don't have to be a slave to it. I think this series through Galatians is going to help us, regardless of how mature we are, it's going to help us walk in freedom that comes when we live as if we're justified in Christ and not by our works. And so there, church, there's the start. We're going to walk through this and learn fresh what it means to be justified by faith in Christ and not our works. There's lots of nuance and lots of things and ways that that impacts our life that we probably haven't thought of. We're going to learn to fear God and not man. And there's a freedom that comes with that. And Lord willing, we'll learn what it means to live by the Spirit and see good fruit come from the faith that God has given us. And I'm hopeful for some of you that you'll finally admit to some of the sins that you've been carrying and hiding for a long time. This is going to be a good series for us and a good place for us to start. So let's stand for prayer. Heavenly Father, forgive us for trying to earn our right standing with you through our good works. It's foolishness. But God, it is scary to admit our sins to you and to others because we know that they're deserving of judgment. We know our sins are wicked and so we rightfully feel ashamed of them. But God, we don't trust you, and we often lack the faith to trust that what Jesus did on the cross is actually enough. And so, Father, we try, as you know very well, to please you by obeying your law. Forgive us for not trusting you, for not trusting what Christ has done, and saying that it is not enough. Forgive us for fearing man so much more than you that we decide to stay stuck in our sins, figure it out on our own, instead of ever being embarrassed before you or others. Forgive us for not walking in the Spirit because we would like to prove ourselves to be good enough on our own strength. And Father, teach us to think rightly about these things during the series in Galatians. Thank you for your word and that we are justified by the work that you did for us and not the work that we do for you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.